Welcome back, everyone, to another program with Let's Grow Together, your host, Mordechai Weimerger, LCSW. That's Mordechai Weimerger, licensed clinical social worker. I would first like to start with, as the program just finished off, for all of Klal Yisrael, we are hoping that Merz Hashem, the three boys that were kidnapped in Eretz Yisrael, should be returned. All the tefillahs of Klal Yisrael, all the learning of Tyre of Klal Yisrael, should have a hashba in Merz Hashem. We should hear good news, Bekarav Mamish. I also would like to give one more time a mazel tov to my in-laws, to Yitzchak and Rashi Bornstein, and to the Mechatanim, to Moshe and Mrs. Krause, on the birth of a grandchild, which is my brother-in-law, Shlemi Bornstein and Nechami, on the birth of their daughter, Malki. This week is Meretz Hashem the Kiddush, and we are all looking forward to coming in and to participate in the Simcha. So Mazel Tov and Meretz Hashem, and we all continue to hear Simchas in the family, by all of Klal Yisrael, and especially with the Gula Shalema, which will help us on everything that we need. The phones are already off the, off the charts, means everything is basically all full before we've even started. So let's go ahead and we are going to start with, we're going to start with line three actually, with Malki. I wonder if you're Malki from last week because there's so much to say if that is you. Malki, are you, is that you? Yeah. Okay, is that you from last week? (laughs) Yeah. Well, let me tell you, my email messages, text messages have been if I would say the amount of people that have stopped me in the street for what I've done, and a lot has been, I shouldn't say a lot, most have been, most have been very for, and I'll share with you and the listeners some of the feedback that I've gotten, and um, I'd like to hear what your call is. So first let's just, you know, why don't you go ahead, share with everyone, what was your question and what was going on? What's going on? First, I, when I listened to the question that I asked last week, I really realized how many details of the question was missing. Hold on, before we go there, let's first share what was the question, what was the give and take that we had last week, because I'd like our listeners, many people are listening in now that haven't heard last week or don't even know what we're talking about. But I, but I think that I should change it from last week because Can it's we really... Can we first clarify what happened last week? I don't know, the last week I realized that I was a little confused. So let me share then with those listening into what happened. Last week I got a call from a person called Malki, basically stating that she understands her natures and a lot of her natures are really just sort of negative. She isn't as good as her mother. She can't do things as talented. She's got a huge amount of negative self-talk. She should be doing more in her life. The more she's doing, it's just not the positive. She's just not feeling fulfilled. And there's a lot of criticism going on which since I've heard once or twice you've mentioned the word mother, I then started going into your mother sort of saying and how perfect your mother is and how excellent she is. And I'm saying, okay, but we still need to be human. Tell me some of the chasroinus. And basically, as you, the words that you used last week was she was efficient. And she can do everything. She can keep a house clean. She can work. She's always calm. She can sleep at night. She sounded like a wonder woman, like this lady that is not human. And what we were going back and forth with was about Is it possible for a human to be that perfect or not? And you were saying, of course she is, and I'm just not as good as her. And I was trying to get the point across that absolutely not. If you're not seeing a chasarin in a parent, and I don't mean as in a chasarin like saying that they're wrong or bad, but recognizing that they're human, they can make mistakes, no one can be that perfect. And what I was going on was saying is that that's one of the biggest issues that I'm having in this generation with almost all my clients. I say the number one diagnosis that I find in the firm world is called perfectionist. And I was trying to break that stigma, which you were still holding by yours. 
And that's okay, that was acceptable. I've gotten a huge amount of positives, let me share with you. Two days later, I went to get myself lunch, and a lady stopped me and says, are you Mordechai Weinberger? I said, yeah. She says, I must thank you for the last 20 minutes. She says, because I'm working, and I'm taking care of the kids, and there is so much stress, such a concept out there of everything is perfect, and to hear you say, and to hear you defend, saying it's not possible to be that perfect. If you're humans, we're going to have weaknesses. You can't have every single night the dishes put away exactly and have kids and do whatever else you're doing. Something is going to have to give. And she said just hearing that was beautiful. Then I've gotten some people which claim to have known your family when I got to go into it or not and said I was right. Then I had someone that claimed to know your family and says, no, you were right. And I was a little harsh. So it's amazing what was going on, the messages, the feedback. Um, and then I got oh one person that told me it was, it was fantastic that they were just happy to hear. They were made aware of how blind they are in their life, how they're trying to be just like their sisters, which is perfect. Then I had a man tell me I was a little too tough on you, especially when you said that you have MS. I should have been so much gentler. So there was feedback. I don't think I've ever gotten in history is there's much feedback fors and against and clarification as much as I've had till now, so I was hoping you would call. So for those that have felt, and I've listened to it again, and I felt I was a little bit more animated, so I'd like to apologize to you for me being that extra animated, which usually it's I'm not. I understand exactly what you're like, what you're trying to put a fault on yourself because I don't understand what you did. But I, I felt, just I don't. People felt I was too tough on you, especially once you said that you have a Syria, that you have an illness. I should have been very gentle to you. That was the feeling. Oh, that means it should have been a pity talk. But Most were positive. Most were extremely proud of you for coming forward and sharing all that. And, and most were also, again, I'll probably say um, 20 to 30 messages, let's say, randomly that have come all saying how great it was in the awareness. And just people were discussing it after we hung up, the topics that were going on, the discussions that were going on around Shabbos tables. I got messages that, we were, that the topic and the awareness was discussed. So... It really created a lot of awareness about this perfectionist. Okay, but but what I will say now, well, I'll ask now. It will be much more clear. Um, I guess I didn't speak in in a chronological order, and my question wasn't phrased in the in a clear perspective. Okay. So I just want to start. I want to start again. Let's start again. Hello, Malki. Welcome to the line. You're on the air with Mordechai Weinberger. What Thank is your you. question or comment? Okay. Um, three months after my chasna, I was diagnosed with MS. And I just got to say that Hashem is a, is a major genius in psychiatry because he, the way, the time that I was diagnosed, I was like in this kind of cloud that the newlyweds, the excited newlyweds traveling. Yes. And so I just was like, totally nothing was able to phase me because I was just so excited. So that was a nitty-gritty detail, and especially because everybody told me, oh, you're so lucky that you were diagnosed now because, because if you would, di- would be diagnosed 20 years ago, then, then nothing, would, nothing would be able to help you. And now, and now all doctors are like saying that, the, that they're, you know, the cure is like almost here. And I was like, okay, so... So, Baruch Hashem, I'm married, and, and I'm so excited. And, um, okay, so it's a little nitty-gritty detail that's a little not so great, but it's, everybody says that it's going to be fine, right? Yes. 
So that's why I was like quite, quite sure. It was, I was quite okay. And Baruch Hashem, a year after my chasna, I was blessed with adorable little boy. And thank you. He's six years old. He's 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 not a baby. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and and then it was like I would say when my son was like two and a half, I went to I was like in the mood of summer vacation, so I went to a boys camp, and that's when I like sort of I I saw that I just can't fake it. It's like I really am like a little bit in denial. Because that's when I saw what a person, a human, a human, a person that's, a, uh, you know, a young person who is, who, you know, has MS, and I am so not like people my age. And because until now, I was like basically in the same stage like my friends, because everybody was talking, you know, about the, the babies, how cute they are, and what they're doing, what they're crying and laughing, whatever they do. So basically, I was basically like everybody. And then I was in camp. I was near, I was next to all people my age, a year older, a year younger. And that's when I saw, my goodness, what am I missing here? Can you and, clarify a detail? Like, what did you feel that they had or that you were different than them? What were you missing? Oh, what I was missing? I have two, two, um, you know, two things that I just don't have. I can't walk well at all. And so it's okay. So for, I saw that it's basically okay because when I was home, I was, like, dealing with my baby. So what's the difference? My friends are also sitting on the, re- on the recliner, you know, taking yes, care of the baby. So I was doing the same, right? You're busy walking all over. I'm, like, sort of actually walking, looking all over because I'm walking, I can't. And... And my my eyesight is also one of the things that got affected with MS, mm-hmm. and I can't read at all. And I always felt like, okay, what's the difference? The mother doesn't have to read. The mother has to take care of her child, right? So, right. okay, that's okay. And then I saw, I realized, like, everybody was like, like a young mother was, let's say, a child running after them and, and feeding them and pushing them on the swings and... And I was like, I felt like such a cross. I was like sitting there and I couldn't do anything. And that's when I felt, and that's when my denial phase was like totally shattered. I just couldn't, I couldn't fake it anymore. Yes. And I was like, I just felt like I just have to, I just need some coping skills. So I decided I'm going to, Sam, I'm going to make a deal with you. I know that he always, he always like when we are, right? So. Hashem, I am going to try, although it's murder, it's very, very hard on me to try to be very smiley and happy and a, and a happy mother and a happy wife. I'm re- really going to try to do it. And, and hopefully that's when, because they say the, the, you know, the cure is around the corner, so <laughs> you're going to make it come even sooner, okay? And, and that's what, and I would say recently, my doctor, my neurologist told me, well, I know that you are waiting for the cure. I said, oh, you bet. So he said, well, I want to tell you something, that you just can't sit on the couch and wait for the cure to run and roll into your laps. you got to do some physical movement. I said, what do you mean? I just can't walk. I can't do anything. I know, but you still have to do some more exercises and things. And that's when I felt like in my, like, showing bias problems in my own self, like, 
my heart and my mind. My mind was saying, you know, he's right. It's like you just have to, you know, push yourself a little. And and emotionally, I was like, I was like, you know, so what do you mean? I just really, really can't. And what am I pushing myself for? And every time I was, I was trying to be a good girl, I was trying to push myself, and that's when I fell back and I was like tripping and falling and I was like, I was like, oh, again and again and again. And it's, it's like something that I felt like, Hashem, um, this is something that's not fair here because my plan was that I am going to do the best. My plan was I'm going to try to be very happy and very smiley and very good wife, very good mother. And, and it's going to, the, and the, you know, the cure will ro- roll into my lap. And I'm just waiting for it. And the doctor tells me I have to physical work. That, that's not what I planned to, Hashem. So I'm like very confused here because in my mind, it's like, it's in my heart and my mind, it's like sort of like they're, both of them are like arguing, yes. you know, in their court. So I sort so of just want to hear. Now that you've given us the history and telling us how powerful you are, how strong you are, and it's amazing with all the difficulties and, and that you're going through, what would you say is now your question? My question is how I can, I can solve the shulam bias in my own body, like between my heart and my mind are like, like both of them are like, like saying, no, I'm right, I'm right. The mind is saying, it makes so much sense what the doctor says, and my heart says, what do you want from me? I just can't. So I'm like, yes. I'm like, I just don't know on which side. To, so I mean, although although my heart is, I guess, stronger We've because. the text over here that someone is asking what MS is. Can you describe it a little? Just say what it is and what a little bit about it for the listeners. Um, I would say that I don't know exactly. I can't describe exactly what MS is, but it's basically. Uh, I would say it's. Uh, the muscles, it's, the body, the movement. Um, it's something, first of all, there are very many people who have MS. Some people just, they are totally, they're just numb, and they're, you know, they, they don't even, no, not, is not everybody is aware of it. But I, by I, me, I it's impossible because I, I am an intuitor. Like what is it? Is it something MS? Is it something that someone just has a little temperature? Is it that the body movement, that something affects, like you said, the walk? What is it? And I wouldn't say my muscles. It's more the nervous system. Good. So what is it with the nervous system? What happens to the nervous system? It's like, it's like, it's like my, I would say, just like Chaz Shulam, people who have Yanamachla, right? Then there is a, their, their body is like fighting, the, the body is fighting, you know, it's like on its own body, you know what I mean? How, how's it called? This kind of, when a person has, um, the body fights itself. Yeah. Yes. And what happens that I know that it affects, like you said, the walk, and it affects the eyes, and it affects the movement, and all that? It does MS cause that someone can't, like, just give a little description. What happens? What's hard for you to do? Are you able to walk? Are you able to go to the grocery? No. No, I can't. So <laughs> At all. But, but it's really so, something which Sami listen said. My goodness, person who has MS is so bad, I wouldn't say that. Let's because take a step back. People... First, let's say what it is, and then I'm glad. That's why I'm asking you. I want you to give chizik. People many times have certain diagnoses, and they go, Oy vey, the world is coming to an end. I mean, you sound so powerful and so strong. I like that. I would like you to share what it is and give chizik. 
this program is here for awareness, primarily for awareness. I understand, and and something that is some is first of all, my motto is I fake it until I make it. Okay, that's fake number it one. I make it, yes. Yeah, I just fake it so well that until I just. You I just like it so well to yourself that part of you is saying, but we can't fake certain things. We need to do certain things. All right. You know, we're not going to go into what MS is right now. Let's go into your question. So your question is, there's a Shalom bias problem in your own brain. Yeah. The logical part is saying the doctor's right. I got to start working. The emotional problem, the emotional part of your brain sounds like that went through the trauma. Oy vey, it's a serious diagnosis. And I'm afraid said, well, if I do as Hashem B'Simcha, if I will be Eved or B'Simcha, it's going to work out. And therefore, you will work, but don't have to work too hard. Right. And seems like you're, the doctor is now telling you, no, in order to heal yourself or in order to prevent the degeneration to continue, you got to start doing exercise. you got to start moving. Yeah, he's like sort of saying, you know, your, your body is getting rustier by the moment. Yes. And in order to stop the rustiness that's happening, you got to start exercising. You, like there are many studies showing that if you do lots of mental exercises, it can slow down the process of Alzheimer's. So using your brain, making yourself work a lot, and sort of not retiring at 55 or at 62 or whatever they're starting to do the retiree, the tiring age, then it keeps you going. Being active is important. So let's go back. Let's go into the emotional part of the brain. Why are you afraid of hard work? Oh, it's not the word afraid. It's the word it's very, very hard. Okay, and let's take, let me ask that, let's ask the question differently. And what's wrong with very hard work? What's wrong? It just exhausts me, and it also makes me feel very upset because, Hashem, you're not, you're not going along with the plan that we make, right? Excellent. So I've got an entire program on that section one on the phone line that goes, Rabbi Nishlam, you must listen to me. And I explain over there how many of us, our major amuna and batachan is very strong when things go our way, but when we get the bump, it's a little bit difficulty, and somewhere in our subconscious, it's like, if I'm good, Rabbi Shalem, now I control you. I will follow your way, but you must do everything my way. And the goal of that program is for us to start letting go that the Rabbi Shalem is the master planner here, and we can do our best, and we really do not know the outcome. We know that when we do good with the Muna Batachim, with the Svarim, with the stories that we know the Rabbi Shalom sends Siyat the Shmaya. But many times he doesn't, and not in a way the Chasham, he's not in control. It's just he simply said no. He said, I have, I see bigger. I see the ultimate plan. And that is a little bit of what sounds like is happening. Somewhere the emotional part of the brain is saying, I found a way to survive. I will control you, Rabbi Nishlelem, if I do whatever you say. Uh-huh. So I, I heard that say, program. I and room, but now I, let me stay up till 11 o'clock. They clean up the room and you say, you still got to go to sleep. You go, but I cleaned up the room. I know, but it's healthy for you to go to sleep now. So, so you mean like sort of you're siding to the brain, right? No, no, no. We're clarifying. We want to give an understanding. I know. I'm just saying that it's like... We first want to understand why the emotion might be feeling this way. Why do you feel you are feeling this way that... If you did good, then everything is going to work out. Why? Okay, that's, that's, that's something that I understand, that it's really not the right way to think. Well, okay, but good. I'm glad you got the understanding. I'd like to go to the emotional feeling. What is that part of the brain feeling if things are not going the way you planned? Very, very, very upset. Yes. 
And that is exactly where the emotional type therapy that I'm a big believer in as well comes in, where we start healing the upsetness when things don't go our way. When we have expectations and they don't work out, to heal that. And then the next level in the healing is to actually expect life is meant to work hard. Adam lo amal yulad. A person is born to work hard. The I understand the person didn't come down to this world to live a time out of life. I know that. Uh, by the way, we, we did. I'd like to clarify, we did come down to have the time of our life. The Rabbi Shalom looked at this world, the Rabbi Shalom looked at everything that he did, it's not just good, this world. This world is amazing. I know, I see that too. Svarim, that are saying, if you're not enjoying this world, boy, is the Rabbi Shalom going to punish you, and that's part of the reason why a Nazar has to bring a carbon. This world is meant to have the time of our life, but what the world mis- somehow makes a mistake is, by working hard gives us the time of our life. Which means the person that exercises on the treadmill, even though they're exhausted and they push themselves an extra 10 minutes, they feel amazing after. The person that does exercise and they got to lift up weights and it's hard and they do it, they feel great. The person that's tired and he's learning that extra blood gemar and he finishes, he feels amazing. Part of amazingness in this world is pushing ourselves beyond our limit. They actually go hand in hand. They are not two separate entities. They go together. It makes sense, yeah. I understand what you're saying. But it's still something that I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm like, I'm such a, such a person, like I just don't, I just only want things to be rosy. I understand that you just, that there's, there's a whole hedge in here. Your understanding we know is brilliant. We accomplished that last week. We've already established. You have your way. I need the feeling part of you. That feeling part of you that's not feeling good. I know, but there are times where my Let feelings are question, also... Because I feel we can be here about two hours just on you. Um, is there a therapist that you can go to? Because what you need now is inner guidance, is guidance to help you start identifying the feelings that are going on. And that is therapy. Not Chashom saying you are a problem that needs therapy. For any of you that listen a while, know that when I recommend to therapy or to coaching or to someone, this is someone to help you go into yourself. It's more like a guide. Of course. Of course, I, I have somebody that helping, you know, mentors me or something because I'm seven years after my, you know, the time that I was do you diagnosed. Do inner so work? What? Do you do inner work in that mentoring? It's not talking, hi, how was your day? Of course, of course, of course. My my mind just doesn't work, um, you know, uh, you know what I mean? It's, by me, I have to go very deep inside. So, no, I only go to somebody who could go very, very deep inside and I could understand my whole my whole inside emotions. And do you do a lot of talking during that time? Of course, and that's what I do all day with myself too. That's the problem. Our goal is to stop your mind from talking. That's why I'm not doing any further with you because I feel there's so much logic and when I do it with the clients, sometimes I get very tough and then I go, stop being logical, give me the emotional response. So I feel... What I would really make the recommendation is because it's so much more than I can just do in the next, you know, couple of minutes. So just tell you, thank you for calling back. I highly appreciate it. I'm glad to hear that you weren't upset because I had no way to follow up to get back to you. So I'm glad to hear that. For all those listeners that requested I make an apology, I'm apologizing to Malki. I'm glad you're saying you don't even, you didn't even realize why I need to do that. So that was nice. And the awareness was actually fantastic. And um, now the one next last question that I would just have for you is, if you can find someone that does inner work, not talk work, inner work, to start just experiencing emotions, the sadness, 
things are not working out your way. Without going logical, give at least 20 to 30 different adjectives of, of sad emotions of what you can't do when things are not going your way. I would focus on just your emotional part of the brain. Malki, I really appreciate it. In Siata Deshmai, Rafua Shalem, and the Rabbi Shalem should send the Rafua to MS, Bekarov, to all of Klal Yisrael, and this way we should be able to be Zaycha, to have you call in completely healthy. We're going to go now to Israel. Israel, you are the first one that called, and thank you for holding. We put you ahead of Malki just because I was wondering if that was the follow up from last week's program. Israel, you're on the line with Mordechai. Yeah, it's Yisrael, but... Oh, Yisrael. Excellent. Okay. Um, I had a question for you like this. Um, I'm not exactly how to start, but like basically, like, um, I'm having a hard time with getting up in the morning. And I noticed that, like, when I was in, you know, now I'm married, but, like, right, well, before I got married, when I was in yeshiva, like, in the dorm, I'd always get up on time for shakas, and, like, never had a problem with it. And I noticed that once I left yeshiva and I got married, and I, now I'm on my own, now I feel like I'm having a very big issue getting up in the morning. And I spoke to our dam, and I tried to learn different stuff, and I never found anything to, uh, that really helped for a long time, you know, helped like a day or two or even a week, but like after that, like it just went back to the old ways. And I was wondering if you have any suggestions for me. So let's how try, I could, let me um, try understanding this, Yisrael. As you know, in the yeshiva system, it is a fantastic system. One of the difficulties that every system has, that this system has, is getting Bachram up in the morning. So every mashgiach, I think I've even heard it back from the Manchester mashgiach way back when, so we're talking a good 40, 50 years ago, saying, he used to think the Mashgiach was the doorman. Later, he found out the Mashgiach was the doormat. And part of it is because when you got a Shlep Bacharim, where are you by Seder, and why aren't you up for Shacharis, it's a struggle. So let's understand, every generation, or every person, or every age has got their struggle. Usually Bacharim, teenagers, for whatever the changes that are happening, need more sleep. They're usually going to sleep late. And so getting up late, getting up late or getting to Shacharis is difficult. To hear from you to say that in yeshiva it was very easy, or was easy, which is excellent, and then I want to understand, so if you can help out, what has changed in the system between the yeshiva and being married? Well, I think it's the pressure of getting up on time. That's right. I mean, so, in yeshiva, I knew that if I'm not going to get up on time, or everything's going to be top of my head, or the bachem are going to down on me, or things like that. And, now, like, and in Kailo? Well, I don't have to come to the avenue. Okay. So now, let me ask you something. What can you do to create that pressure? I don't know. Think of it. One of the things that I find is I have a similar issue, which is that a day that I need to be up or go to work, I'm able to be up at about you know 6 o'clock, 10 to 6. And days when I'm off of work, and somehow I say I'll make the 8 o'clock minion shachras, and next thing I know it's already a quarter to 8, quarter to 9, I just got to leave the house, and I didn't leave yet. So what I try to do is I try to set up anchors, as I call it, reasons for me to need to be up, which are, if I'm late, then it's a problem. So I try to usually have something set on my days off by 8.30 or 9. This way, I must get up. And usually then, chakras, somehow life works on musts. So I'd like you to understand the concept that we share many times of the benefit of a deadline. Why we take a deadline? Why is a daf yoimi so successful? because it's every single day. 
when you got a deadline and if you missed it but you got to catch up because the next day is the next block, you got to do it. Any company will tell you that what is successful for them are deadlines. Any student will tell you when they're studying, they're always cramming it in the night before. If not for night befores, we won't get anywhere. But if not for the exams, we won't have night befores. So let's understand part of the human nature brain is we need someone on top of us and we need that commitment, we need that goal. And I feel that part, like part of the reason why I was always getting up on time in yeshiva was because it was a little bit unhealthy also because like, I think it was coming from a lot of perfectionists. Like I couldn't be wrong, I couldn't be bad, and I had to be perfect. So like, I don't want to go it back to that. that. It might actually be that, but it might also be that you're just a human being. Need pressure, need someone on top of you. I know I'm that way. I don't look at, consider myself worse or bad or a failure because I can't get up without a responsibility. There are different natures, and certain natures need someone on top of them. I'm aware of what I need for certain things, I should say. Right. How about you, you go easier on yourself and not call yourself a perfectionist and just say your nature, you need someone on top of you. And that might be a friend that will actually yell at you. You'll tell the friend, now at this point, I don't want you to be very, I don't want you to be my friend. Now I want you to yell at me. Why weren't you up? I hear, I guess I could try that. That is very simple. That's literally where coaching comes in. Where business, where people have business coaches for that reason. What's our goal? People that need to make calls, people that are on, people that are doing, what else can I, th can I think of? Code calling, people that need to do sales. You got to make X amount of calls a day. You got to meet X amount of people a week. You must do it no matter what. And again, going back to the Dafiyomi, knowing that it's 11 o'clock at night, you had a wedding, you missed a shear, but if I don't do it tonight, I'm going to have two blots to do tomorrow. Let me just do it. And it won't be as good. It won't be as clear as the other times, but you're still up to par commitment going to work every day should I take the 8 o'clock bus or should I take the 10 o'clock bus just debating I once heard a great joke I happen to think it's true and they ask why is it that Tachnan is the only tefillah that people are trying to get out of and the, the Batchan well, he said it was very simple he says because you have a choice should I say it shouldn't I say it and all of a sudden we get stressed and nervous but if I don't really have to say it I'm putting an extra Olenu you got to do it you got to do it you're just doing it. Understand that when shachas becomes an uh, option, as it is for whatever reason, the way it is, we will struggle. Make sense? Oh, yeah. So you're saying basically to take it out of making it an option and making it more of a must. Yes. Remember, hey, all musts we do. By the way, the comments, people can hear us. It's the line. I'm sorry, I'm just dealing with the technician. It's, we're doing excellent over here. Uh, we've gotten some messages of people that are listening on the phone lines in different places, and they're saying it's very low, but that's because we've hooked up several systems. We now have it on FNW, we have it on my phone line, so when we're hooking up on the, ex on the phone line, it comes out low. So apologizing to all of you, we'll try to work it out then the next week to have it a bit different, to have it worked out. But, um, fine, I'm just saying that, like, I, I'm, like, nervous to, like... You stroll, like, then we've got to go to some more callers, so let's just hear quickly. Well, no, I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm like, nervous to put pressure on myself because I, 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 I know, like, in the past, I put myself a lot of pressure and I just, they, like, backfired on me very strongly. Now we got a whole new subject. I'm a perfectionist that you've said earlier that I've chosen not to focus on, and pressure works by me, but then it backfires, and that is a whole new subject. 
and that is, hi Mordechai, I'm a perfectionist, how do I succeed in life without being such a perfectionist? Because when I'm a perfectionist, I can succeed on one or two points, but I lose eight others, or I don't even do eight other tasks because it's so difficult for me. Is that your question now? Basically. So first, let me share with you some wonderful news. I am with you in that wonderful boat. So I would say just shooting about 85-90% of cholesterols in that level. And we are major perfectionists. The level of stress, anxiety when we do something is always somehow there. And we're beating ourselves up when we do something, we could have done it better. But I'd like you to know that the more I'm out there in not only the from world, or even not the Jewish world, I'm noticing that this is a world issue. The amount of books that are out there written to calm down, just do what you got to do, the motivational speakers that speak to thousands of people at a time, those that you've got like millions of people listening to them at a time that you could see how many people clicked on them, and those messages of saying, slow down, you just got to do the process, stop being perfect, is, is, what's, is what's selling, is what people are listening to. So realize that this is a world issue. Somehow the Rabbi Shalom has given us the Koyach to strive to do better, and we confuse better with best. So just understand and know that you're in wonderful hands with many, many, many people. But that's just what's going on. I can give you, since I'll give you one or two little tips to realize. I've got some programs on my phone line, which I'll share with you the number. It's 718-298-2011. And there's one of them about perfectionist. There is some of them about... Why ever get into the game if you're always someone's going to lose? Imagine okay. in a game, and I go, go then to the Olympics, you have like the entire world um, you know, participating. You only have first, second, and third place. And really, no one even cares about second and third place. All people care is about the gold first place. And I always mention that, like, why should anyone ever want to do anything? And one of the concepts that we go, and why should anyone ever want to do those big races where you got 50,000 people jogging? And I sort of ask that question, don't you think number 49,000 feels like the greatest loser? 49,000 people got in ahead of me. And I, I got a secret to tell you because I got some friends that jog in these big things. And they're thrilled. They must be nuts. Imagine, you know, forget about a class now. We're talking about our classes where, wow, you got 30 boys in the class or 30 girls in the class. And I'm not from the top five or the top 10. Imagine you're number 49,000. What losers, right? And the answer is wrong. If you look at life, where did I accomplish, then you're right. I'm going to say something, and I usually get flack for that, so I'm going to say it really bekovedig. But based on that perfectionist outlook, Rabbi Shimon Bayochoi was far from a success. Very far. I'm not going to use the word a loser, because I want to do it with this. While we know he's in the grace of tzaddikim, do you know why? The Gemara says that whenever it's Rabbi Shimon Bayochoi against anyone, we do not pass like Rabbi Shimon Bayochoi, I think, in only one place in the entire Shas. Imagine Rav Shimon Bayechoy is mentioned, and if anyone dares go against him, we always go the other way. Would you say that guy feels like a winner or a loser based on your perfectionist outlook on life? I would say he's a loser. That's right. We would have been so knocked down if we would continue life with that way. Let's go further. The Gemara always says, if you have a machlekes Abaya and Rava, right, all over Shas, there's probably more machlekes between Abaya and Rava than Meshila and Beishamai. <laughs> How do you think Abaya felt when I think we always paskin like Rava, except in Yalkagam, except in six places? Those that know the Gemara know what I'm talking about. It's abbreviated for six different scenarios. 
When we think of Abai or Arava, do you think of one of them as losers, Chas V'Shalom? Or do we think that through them, Torah has survived? Through Rav Shimon Bayochoi, during the hardest times, during those crusades of those times they went through, when he had to run away, standing for the Purkite of Yiddishkeit, brought down the Torah and Nistar, at least like many of them, all through that. Do we look at him as the greatest of leaders? It's not about perfectionists. That is one of the greatest illnesses and sicknesses that we go around. I can go throughout history. Another one, Rabbi Kiva. Imagine this. A man is Rosh Hashiv of 24,000 Talmidim, and all he's left with is four or five. I forgot which number that is. Five. How do you think a person based on our perfectionist outlook in life would look? Look completely fall apart. Exactly. What a failure. Now, I need you to recognize what 24,000 people are. Imagine an entire Lakewood is just about, I think, that amount of people there or something like that. You had all that and then down to five people. Chas v'shalom. And to still feel a success. And we know the Gemara says through those five Talmidim, we have Torah today. We got to yeah. recognize the perfectionist only looks at right now, here and now, and what should have been better. The godless of how the Rabbi Shalom has taught us, and I've got several programs, again, because I find it's the number one diagnosis in the front world. I've done it several times in different ways and in different areas. And that is the main theme throughout. We cannot look at life at where I am now, or even at the end of our life, what it looks like. So Rabbi Kiva, when he had five Talmidim, we know the Rabbi Shalom, sure up in Shemayim, Rabbi Kiva seeing everything that is happening, and look what we have Torah today through his five Talmidim. But even at the end, because I sometimes work with people that are older, in their 60s and 70s, and they go, what will happen? What will be? I don't see it. I'll finish with one more with one more little Divrei Chizuk, and that I've heard from my Rosh Hashiva of Pamzatzal. And he has that, and this is one of my favorite Dvatars, but he says in the parshas, actually coming up now in this couple of weeks' parshas, Pinchus, um, I think when the Rabbi Nishlein, when he counts Klal Yisrael after the Magaifa, Shevet Dun had second to the most people that were there. You had Shevet Yehuda had the most, something 70-something thousand, and Shevet Dun was second with 60, also something, I think it was 68, 69,000 people. And he says, but he's bringing down the Chafetz Chaim that says, look back, all the Shvatim, Binyamin, had ten kids, Don had only one son. And from one son, doing the process, whatever the Rebbe has in mind, is second to the most, while Shevet Binyamin, at the end, was down to 400 people for whatever happened during that time. Rav Pam takes it a step further, he says, and look at what type of son that was, that was Chushan. They called him Chushan because he was deaf. Imagine Dun, he says, is sitting over there around his father. All the Shvatim are around with their kids and they're learning Torah. And Dun has one son that can't participate. He doesn't understand what's going on. How do you think Dun felt? He says, and from this one quote unquote disabled or limited child, we have second to the most people in Klal Yisrael, popular population wise. Let's understand, and that's where Rav says, let's not look at here and now. Let's not get caught up in that perfectionist outlook. Our job is just to do. However it will end up is the Rabbi Shleilam's job, and that's the Rabbi Shleilam's. So this is my little pep talk for those of you listening now, but we've got several programs. Again, I want you to know I like to say suffer. I am working on that from the perfectionist outlook. One of the steps that I've done is if it's an 80 and above, to me, it's perfect. It's excellent. If it's less, I might do it over. That's my level of scale. But it used to be 100. It used to be 95. I aim now for 80 and above. It's good. 
And that's one of the ways that I can deal with that. But if we can recognize... What? You're saying like to motivate myself and not to be a perfectionist. You're saying just to aim to get up 80% of the days, you're saying. That's right. Getting up up 80% is 100% to me. I'm talking about 60%. Keep the battle. Get that coach or get the friend to push you. Right, right. I get that. Yeah, but keep on moving. Keep on moving. Let's not get caught up into that perfectionist outlook that only when I'm perfect. The day I got up, now I'm a good Jew. Now the Rabbi Shalom likes me. Now I could learn. The day that I didn't, I didn't. No. You you walk into Seder late. You continue learning. An hour of Seder is still an hour of Seder. Those perfectionists, I remember those days where it's just better. Don't come. Don't show up. Then come late. Don't do it if you won't do well. You will always miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. One of the famous quotes. So just go ahead, take those shots. Let's keep on doing it. Fine, okay, thank you very much. Thank you, Yisrael, for calling up. We are going to go to Ruchi Online 2. Ruchi Online 2, you're on the air with Mordechai, and thank you all for holding, by the way. I know you guys are holding a long time. Hello? Yes. Hello. Okay, first, thank you for your amazing programs. Okay, I appreciate um, that. I'm yes, already feeling better. a very better. big difference in my life, I'm sure, and many others. Um, thank you. Um, okay, question. You're talking about the subconscious, the role in subconscious a lot. Yes. Um, so I have two questions. Number one, to what extent should parents um, be afraid or think that the subconscious is having an effect on their children, for example, if they go through uh, hard experiences? Like how much on top of our children should we be? Okay. Um, and number two... Uh, if, if, if you, if, if you went through an experience, like just stress or something, and it's over, should you think to yourself that it might be affecting me in the future, or even now, to reach my potential because I had that stress in the past? So let's try your questions a little bit different. Let me tell you, the, uh, first let's repeat your questions, then we'll repeat the question that I hear. Mm-hmm. First question is, what concerns in subconscious is subconscious? How protective should parents be that the kid's subconscious shouldn't get affected? That's also, the pro- and if the kids went through a hard time, like how concerned should they be that it's going to affect okay, them so 20 years Okay, so the kids go now. through hard times. How concerned should they be for their subconscious? Great. Yeah. And the second question is, what was the second part? Um, I think it's basically the same. That's what I but if, uh, But if, like, you know, if I went through stress, um, right. Do you need to be I concerned that it's going to hold you back? What? So, right. So if you went through difficult times, should you be thinking about how it's holding you back? Yeah. Now let me tell you the question that I hear. I hear is that I'm a very worried person and I'm trying to be perfect and I always want to do everything right. So I'm worried about my life, mistakes that maybe I had or difficult times and that's why I'm not perfect now. And I want to make sure I do everything right and perfect so this way my kids should be okay and any difficulties that they have that I should be able to make sure that they don't go through that. Yeah, I thought I learned from your perfectionist uh, programs. I guess I didn't. Exactly. So first let's recognize what the question is. The question is you're afraid to make mistakes. And you're afraid others to make mistakes. And you're afraid to go through the painful process of life which the Rebbein Shalom wants us to master. Uh, okay, yeah, not to that extent, but okay. Well, I mean, let's rephrase it. You're hesitant. Okay, yeah. But you know, you could even look at it just as a theoretical question and I can... Good, so let's go ahead. I understand it, but I just recognize every question that we ask usually has to do with us. So now let's go to understand a little bit about the subconscious. As Dr. Tversky said when he was on the line, he says, subconscious is called sub, which means under the conscious. Mm -hmm. It is meant to stay that way. 
We're not yeah. meant to be thinking about what's going on. When you drive a car, you're not meant to be thinking about how is the engine working right now. Mm -hmm. When I'm hitting the gas, how is the gas causing the pedal that, the, that it should now cause the car to be driving? Yeah. When we're driving, we're supposed to be conscious about who's in the street. Is the car in front of us? Is there a red light? Mm -hmm. And therefore, since it's subconscious therapists, when you go to the mechanic, they are supposed to be going under the hood and okay. checking out what's going on if there are problems. Yeah. Now, the people that are worried about their subconscious all day, I call that anxiety. I call that perfectionist. Okay, Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So now let's take your question. Your question is, how can you be relaxed? How can you chill out about not worried about your past experiences uh, and about? Exp okay, so it's not um, it's not really direct like a, a personal question. It's in general, very general about my life, and not that I had any major. But you I'd know, like you to recognize your general question is based on your personal question. Okay, 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 sure. I would just want you to understand that because the mm -hmm. answer then was taken care of. How much should you be concerned about the subconscious? Very little. It's subconscious. You have a problem. Mm -hmm. You try dealing with it consciously. If you can, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, if that's still not working, then mm -hmm. we look for subconscious therapy. Yeah. In other words, would you take your car to a mechanic for no reason at all, just out of mm -hmm. the blue? Let's go into the let's go under the hood. Look, everybody has their um, negatives and positives. Let's not rephrase everyone. Let, let's, let's be clear. Every, okay. okay. I'll, I'll agree with you. Everyone has got something. But it's still subconscious because we're not meant to make every subconscious conscious. We're not meant to uh -huh. live with that. Okay. Every but, okay. car is going to have a problem with something. This car mm -hmm. has a better pickup. This car go, does things slower. Now you can change it, fix it, or you can just say, it's okay. This mm -hmm. is my Milas. You yeah. go for therapy. When things aren't working, when you're starting to be more concerned, you're not able to focus, you're focused on your negative, then we need to start clearing out the subconscious or conscious. Yeah. About, uh -huh. I hear many questions coming on the line of people who got married and whatever, and, and, and you went back to their childhood saying that certain things must have happened. So a person might not feel that there's a big issue, but still it's going to hinder them in a, in a certain area. So let us clarify, those that called it had a big issue in an area. They were afraid when the husband's driving to make a certain turn, they might get lost. Mm -hmm. They were afraid to go to certain places. When mm -hmm. it is a big issue, then we do subconscious. Now, once I also heard that they understand the logic and they've done the cognitive therapy, that's when we do subconscious. Yeah. We don't so just go, a person, I don't meet my friends or my kids. Hi, how are you doing today? Oh, subconsciously, I hear that answer. I don't go around myself analyzing. I've got a separate program, those that self-analyze all the time, and that's called anxiety. That's, mm -hmm. again, perfectionist, yeah. where our radar system is too on. What I'm trying to clarify to you is what I do sometimes isn't what I do all the time. But you, uh -huh. which I'm not going to go general, I'm now going to go very personal, you do it all the time. You're always yeah. analyzing yourself. You're analyzing others' conversations, what others meant. Mm -hmm. And that is where we start trying to first cognitive stuff slow it down. Or that's mm -hmm. when we go subconscious not to do that. So yeah. I want you to recognize don't generalize everyone based on your individual. Oh, okay, okay, I hear. All right, so sure. your question was general. When do you go into the subconscious? And my answer is we do not go into the subconscious unless it's necessary. Or unless someone wants necessary. to go beyond the programs, what they're able to go, so they know they can go further, they've tried all the logic and it hasn't worked, that's when you do it. Mm -hmm. I do not think in therapy terms when I meet people. I need to turn on that head. to. So when I'm talking to friends, I'm just talking. I'm not mm -hmm. thinking, oh, you just said this word, I know that issue. Now I can do it very easily. But I don't want to have that radar on all the time. Then I'm not mm -hmm. going to be a human being, I'm going to be mm -hmm. a therapist. Sure. 
So I can be in shul, and there can be a whole whatever happening in shul, a disagreement, and I won't go, oh, this guy's got a weak self-esteem, this guy's subconscious. I can hear clearly that this guy's got issues with his marriage. It's so mm -hmm. simple for me to do that. Like when I'm over here talking to you, my, my radar system is on, and I'm hearing what you're really saying. But when I'm with friends, with family, it's shut. I need to turn it on. It's easy for me to turn it on. But it was training that I had to go through, how to turn it on, how to shut it off. <laughs> All right? I so hear. if you have control not to think and analyze everything, then you're good to go. If okay, you're so busy, kids just go through normal, you know. If you can go through normal, you're not concerned about your kids and just let life experiences, we're all going to go through life experiences. We're meant to have accidents. We're meant to mm -hmm. go, but, uh -huh. go through it. Yes. Okay, but then, you know, if, if in adult life things come up, you know, that you never know, if, you know, you could have done more and maybe the, of just taking care of the subconscious. And that you could have done more is what I'm talking about. If you have that a lot, or if you get older and it gets stronger, then you can start going under the hood to heal that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank okay. you, Ruchi, for your question. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yes. We are going now to Moshe. Moshe on line five. You're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, how are you today? Baruch Hashem, amazing. That's awesome. Okay, I have two questions. I think they're into, I think they have to do with each other. And then before I, before I ask the two questions, I want to just make a little awareness, which happened to me, like, recently. Yeah. And it might help a lot of people. Um, basically, I'm going through a lot of, like, stress, and I'm, like, I'm very, like, like um, arrogant and, like, self-centered and all those stuff. And, I feel, you know, it's, you know, it feels like, it makes you feel very bad and makes you feel very low. Wait, and let like, me just clarify what you're saying. You have that or you were around someone that was arrogant? No, no, no. I, I, I have that. I, you know, I have that. So I try working on it, you know, but no, I got some news really, to tell you. You don't really sound like an arrogant type guy. You you don't have any, you don't even sound like you're 5% arrogant. It's interesting. I mean, I felt that way. I put it that way. So basically, so okay. what it was, you know, I was trying to find out, you know, what way, you know, like, what, 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 like what I should learn. Tell me out. But recently, like a few weeks ago, I came out. I started learning the Egeret Ramban. It's very short and it's like you know straight to the point. Like, you know, I, I bought one in the store. Article six bucks. And I learned it like for like like uh, Mother Shabbos. I do it every Mother Shabbos. After the first time, I did it like the first week. I, I learned it and like it took about twenty minutes. I like internalized it and everything. I'm telling you, I came out a different person. It, it really helps out. It, it changes your life. It changes perspective of life and it changes everything. You, it, it, I don't know. Until then, since then, until now, which is like a month and a half probably. I mean, I feel a lot better, and I feel like I'm like you know, like nicer to people. And I smile and I talk to them. I feel more friendly. And it really hold on, Mish, can you share with all our listeners which part of the Igaris Ramban, which one caught you the most, or which two points that he brings down over there affected you the most? Well, um, I, I I I didn't think about it too much, so I don't know. But basically, which I'll say right now is probably the part which he says that um, you should think where you come from. I bust or or not to do. That one, and and then the next one, and then after that he says, they should always, should always consider, you should always remember that, it's, that basically the shin is on top of you, the shin is right in front of you, and yes. and and basically, and, and, we're, and we're equal. It means that if you're rich and you're you're smart, whatever it is, it's all from Hashem. You imagine if a king gives you something to watch for him, and then you go and take it for yourself, it's called Maramachas. He'll he'll kill you because you're taking his honor and using it for yourself. So so do here, Hashem gave you. But I shouldn't give you wisdom. I shouldn't give you everything, wealth and everything, and, 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 and all the talents you have. But it, it's you know, it's, it's it's not for your benefit. I mean, you have it, but use it. But don't be a bitch out over. Don't be you know like like your mister or whatever. So basically, those two things really hit me a lot and really helped me out. But that's that was just the words I wanted to make. Maybe people should try it out. Gareth Ramban, thank you, Gareth and, and I'd like to actually clarify sort of what you're saying now. 
I'm a big believer in therapy, as those of you know, and I've done that for a Parnas in the way of helping Klyustrol, but there is a process. You don't jump to the therapist for the first issue. First is a svarim. First is you speak to the Rabbanim, to your mashgiach, or someone that you're close to, or a rav, and this is how you start the process. If they say it's further, it's not something that you can get from the svarim, because a disorder, we now know clearly, I should say almost all the Rabbanim are masking. There are still a few that aren't, but almost everyone across the board is recognizing that mental illness is not a Yiddish issue. You can have someone that has a major, um, has a big balamunam batachim, but there's disorders. We're able to see now with brain scans which part of the brain doesn't work if there's OCD, if there's depression, or which part of the brain is having deficiency. So it's very clear now that if someone's depressed, anxious, bipolar, whatever it should be, therapy, medication, whatever is needed is the process to go, and you don't just say take out a safer and learn. That's if it's a disorder. However, before we diagnose it a disorder, we first have to recognize maybe it is something that we need a svarim or a character or awareness that that is not disorder. Awareness is something that we all knew that we all need, and that's where we need to learn. Yeah, we need we, to be we, should, we should be trying. You know, help me a lot. I mean, that's you know, right. So I am going there. with your recommendation, people. Let's all that's listening. First, let's start with the svarim. We have everything. We're doing now the, the summer weeks now of Perkeyavas. It's amazing learning Perkeyavas, what it does to character traits, how it changes yes. a person. Yes. And so now, Maish, let's go to your question, Maishi. One minute, one more thing. And the thing with the guys Ramban is that if you promise to use Ramban, a thousand years ago, you promise to use that. That day you read it, everything, all your prayers will be answered, so, which is a benefit. Just besides that. It's funny, I don't remember that. I looked that up. I, it's good. The guys he, he, he promises he that if you do it, all your tefillahs will be. Answer. Yeah, okay. Okay. yeah. Now, my, my question, I have difficulties okay, I whenever we go do those promises, you know, because that's when we get into some of those people that I deal with. But if I did this now, the Rabbanish Shalom must listen to me. And now I've gotten the Rabbanish Shalom, and we only see few tzaddikim that when they were geyser or something, that then the Rabbanish Shalom was makayim, and only a few times when they did it, did it work even. So, like, mm-hmm. when people start, when I hear this, and when I hear people hear that, you do this and you're guaranteed... I, I, I am hesitant. Guaranteed that he'll listen to you. Don't even know how to answer. Oh, thank you. Guaranteed he'll listen. Exactly. I feel much better now. Now he's listening. That's right. You, you know? got me. Maish, you got me now. Now, not you got me. I mean, I agree with you. We're on, we're on board the same level. Yes. All right. Yes, I have many people coming in. I did it in the Rabbanish Lamis and the stress and the control that's going on. Oh, so you're trying to control your life, your kid's life, your parents' life, and now you're even trying to control the Rabbanish Lamis. Wow. You know, you just need to get them to be aware of that when they start with the schoolers, that now they're for sure and guaranteed. And I like the way you said it, right, that makes sense. Guaranteed the Rabbi Shalom is going to listen to us, but the Rabbi Shalom runs the show, and if something exactly, is yeah. for our benefit, the Rabbi Shalom will do it. Exactly, okay, yeah. That was, uh, okay, now my two questions. Okay, first of all, I want to know why is it, like sometimes like in camp or in Shiva, I don't uh, mind speaking in public so much. I just speak in front of the whole camp. I say stories Friday night. You know, I enjoy that. And I get a little nervous, but I enjoy it anyway. And I speak Friday night. But it's funny because in front of the same crowd, like, example, after I speak in Friday night in Yeshiva, the rule is that you have to have a guy that speaks benches. But when I come to benching, I get so nervous. It comes to, like, it's in front of the same crowd. I can't iron for the I can't do anything. I can't lead on iron for the benching. I don't know why, but, like, if someone, like, I don't know what it is, but when speaking, like, out of my own... You know, inside, you know, I, I could go on and on, but comes to, like, saying something, which I have to say, something that I, I, I can't do, I get, I get nervous, and I, I go stuttering, it doesn't work out. Okay. Is there a reason for that? Um, let's, let's try a simple answer. How is your reading? 
Do you have a difficult time reading a little or your Ivro? Not saying that you have a first grade level, but do you find that it's not as perfect? No, but I do find is that that like when I read something like a city or something, I just go very very fast. I, I like you know I skip I, I, I can't say the words like clearly like I'm getting that. That's right. And, and mumble them. Now let's stop a second. You've just answered your own question, which means that when we are in our comfort zone, we are safe enough to go out of your comfort zone. That's speaking public. But when we are not feeling safe, we only feel comfortable in our comfort zone. We try not to go out. Since reading, so why do I feel, yeah. since reading, benching, doing these things where you need to look inside, where you need to say the word slower or in a way that you don't feel safe doing it, in those areas you won't feel safe. But why did I feel comfortable speaking, which there I don't mumble too much, and but when I say inside or like something which, like, which I know I have to say these words, these specific words, then I start mumbling. Why is that so? Now here we go to a separate level. So here we start going into... Maybe you just need a little training on how to speak clearly those words that you're going to say. So many times a speaker would try practicing the Hebrew words if it's not their first language, or even many times when we're learning yeshiva, where public speaking isn't one of the courses that they give there. So therefore, uh, actually they're starting to institute it, where they're having Bachram give Chaburus, which is starting to be instituted now more. I'd say the last 10 years it's being more and more instituted that they're really having it done. And... What is the next step that probably will be happening in the yeshivas is they're going to start giving feedback to the person, not just doing it, but coaching a little before, and then how you can improve yourself. So we're starting with the first step where having chaburas being given, and the next step is going to be how we can even implement or to, to have someone review how you did, which is always the positives, as well as what can do better. Now let's go to you. Before you're going to bench, one of the things that you can do, and there are even Shilas and Rav Moshe Feinstein and in Igris Moshe, about is about tefillah when he's practicing to daven for Yom Neirom, is he allowed to practice with saying the Shem Hashem? Because what they have, what they found is that when the person practices before the davening, and you practice with the whole song, Baruch, and you go to Hashem, then unfortunately many times they've made mistakes and said Hashem, like Hashem instead of the real Shem HaFarish while they're davening, and he passed, because I'm pretty sure, I don't want anyone to take it from there, but pretty sure they heard the tshuva in his name, that you're actually, when you practice, you're allowed to say that. Which means, if you want to do good in something... To our dear Jewish radio listeners, around practiced. the world, Jews are joining together to storm the gates of heaven with their Torah study, tefillah, and mitzvot. Hello? Yeah, uh, it was uh, just some little technical thing that might okay. have just popped in there. Yeah. No problem. All right, so let's go back. So let's understand that if you want to try benching, try benching out loud those words, Rabbi Sai Mivel Benchen, or Rabbi Sai Nivarech, whatever it is that you're going to say. Practice it slowly and clearly. Try it six time? times. You will find right before that when I do you, it, right, you, be, right before I do it, or I just No, randomly. never before. No, glad that you mentioned that. No, today. Practice it six times out loud. The speed that you're going to do it, practice needs to be done before and in advance. You never see anyone practicing for the Olympics five minutes before. They're practicing three years before exactly what they're going to be doing. Practice so ahead of time. Try it. Should I do both practice now and then or just now? No, practice now. Do it for about three to four days in a row slowly. Rabbi Yisai Mivel Benchen. Rabbi Yisai Mivel Benchen. Rabbi Yisai Mivel Benchen. Rabbi Yisai Mivel Benchen. Slowly, you've got to slow it down. And you want to maybe record it and listen to it and go, oh, it's still too fast compared to what others go. So you might go slower. 
Same thing for those people, and they want to daven for the Ahmed. And they go, You don't take a space. You got to take a break between Baruch Hashem. Let people answer. The break for the Ahmed. Then you go, or your Shalai Mircha. It's got to be practiced. You got to hear it. And you got to practice so it. So I practice now six times every day for the next couple of days. But you're saying, but when I do, but like right before benching, I shouldn't do it. Just only now. Oh, do it now. You do it six times now, and then that day, be that day, and then if you'd like, right before, go to another room and slowly. You take the deep breath, do it slowly. Once you do it three, four times, that you actually do it slow, you're going to see how easy it's going to be. Six times today, six times tomorrow, six times the next time, and if you can also, which is the next day, which will be Thursday, just listen to it on the recordings each time. So listen, so do it once. While you're recording it, listen to it. Oh, it was too fast? Um, okay, so I'll slow it down. Then do it slower. Then, oh, it was too low? Say it louder. Each time, and then you do it for three days, you will find how simple and how confident. Because understand, you have the confidence. We're just linking the confidence over here to the next level. But you've got to know what you're doing. If you're, not, if you're not at what you're doing, if you're not good at what you're doing, then, then that's the issue. Then, of course, you're going to be nervous. Okay, okay. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. I have one more question. I, I, Let's I, try to do it I, quickly because we've got so many people on the line. So. Okay, right. So I'm, I'm going to share now. I'm going to ask a question and you can answer just a minute or two afterwards. Basically, my, my question is that um, for some reason, I don't know why, but like, I don't mind speaking to a lot of people, like random people, strangers, go over to them. But when it comes to my Rebbe or Shiva, or like even father sometimes, like someone close to me, I get all nervous. Like, like I said, my, I said before, I'm going to go out of but I'm not scared. I want to go. I know, I know it's for my good. I know he likes me. I know he, I'll tell you, know you what, Moshe, this is fantastic. I would like to spend more time on it with you because I'll be asking you what's the feeling. Could you do us a favor, me at least a favor, call in next week? I think it will be a huge. Oh, awareness for people to start listening and to tuning in, for those that will be listening, to understand that it's not so simple. It's not just because you're nervous because it's your father or your Rebbe. We're going to help you identify what's going on, what's going on under the hood, as we said, in the subconscious. All right? So we've given a lot of awareness, and let's go to uh, another... Thank you very much. You're very welcome, Moshe, and continue learning. And your learning should be that we should be able to find the three... Bachram that are now missing, that were kidnapped in Eretz Yisrael. Amen, amen. All right, thank you. Yes, okay. Aaron, can we just change the screen over here so I can see the next people that are on? Aaron? Oh, the screen by me. I can't see who's... Uh, sorry, guys. Okay, we are going to go to line six, to Leah. For those of you that want to call in, the number is 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858. Leah, you're on line six. Hello? Yes. Yeah, I was wondering what you say um, to, the sta- to such a statement that OCD is either, um, e- either caused by trauma or it's, um, it's a genetic thing, and if it's a genetic chemical imbalance, that person has to be on medication for life. What do you think I'll say to that? I don't know. Take a guess. That's opinionated? Yes. Isn't it amazing? Now let me ask you, what's your opinion about the whole thing? I'm actually very confused. What do you think? Your thoughts? What's your feeling? What's your gut telling you? That it, it shouldn't... Your thoughts. It, it, There's no right or wrong. It's just an opinion. It might be in certain cases that 
that that's the that it might be true, but in most cases, um, therapy probably could could heal it, and it it, it could be caused by both. It could be uh, right. partly partially genetic and partially you know something environmental, that and can be stress, and can be so many other issues. So I have not yet found anyone that has the answer to any mental disorder why it's coming. There are studies showing this, studies showing that, in 30% of the population, in 60% of the population. I don't think there is anyone out there, as of this point, I think I could say more confident, I don't know anyone out there that has pinpointed exactly where it's coming and what it's coming from, and therefore they could say, you just deal with this issue and then it's taken care of. So you, um, do you think I should take at face value what the therapist said? that? Um now we've just changed subjects. Now we've just changed the question that your therapist is telling you. Yeah, that therapist... That OCD might be coming from the family, it might be genetic, but they feel you should be taking medication to get better. I would like to... That person should take medication... Um, um, that person should, should be evaluated um, by a certain doctor, and if the doctor says that it's that it's genetic, that person should be, that has to be on medication for life. I would like to change a lot what has been said over here, because I think a lot might be said in the therapist's name that might not be that clear. So let me clarify. OCD is a disorder that affects people. Now, the first step that you try to do is therapy. And you try, if one therapy mo model works, then fantastic. If that doesn't work, there are three, four different types of modalities that we try to help and heal something. And the more tools a therapist has, let me rephrase that, some therapists love mastering one tool. Some therapists, like me, based on my nature, I like mastering several tools. So if one system doesn't work, then we try another system. But understand, staying with the problem is not a solution. And many people, when, have, when they have a disorder, I tried this, I tried that, so I'm going to live with it. No. Your life is miserable and everyone around your life is miserable. You're just in denial. Because that's how their brain made the world, our brain, that we should not see the full ramification that we're doing. Otherwise, we might not be able to handle it. But understand, if you're suffering from anxiety, I promise you and I guarantee you, everyone around you, even if they're only speaking to you for five minutes, suffers. Even your therapist suffers because it's painful around you. And the same if you've got disorders. OCD, depression, anyone that you want, anyone around you suffers. Understand that, including yourself. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm saying that is because some people will say, okay, I'm willing to suffer. But what about the others around you? Of course. Now of let's of take course. a step back. One of the options that when therapy does not work, or many times when therapy only does a little bit, is medication is known to help. I'm not going to tell you medication helps everyone. I'm not going to tell you medication does the whole job, and no one will tell you that. But medication is definitely an option out there that works. That's a fact. For those that it works. Does medication have side effects? Yes. Should they be limited? Does a therapist know how to identify them, how to inform the doctor? Are there other medications that you can take if there are side effects? Of course. But let's understand, living with the problem is not an option. Many times therapists will tell someone that it's genetic, so just take the medication because the clients are so in such level of denial because they might have had it for so many years or their family members have it, they believe this is normal. I've once worked on a case where the person, let's, let's just assume that they were raised, I really want, I'm 
covering up the entire situation. So let's say a kid was raised in a case where the mother suffers from anxiety, and this person is so nervous of tests, and this person thinks it's 100% true. This is normal. This is how you're supposed to react. And you're trying to explain to them that others aren't, but no, because the mother or father has it, now two, three siblings has it, all this person saw and all this person believes is that this is normal. And many times just taking the medication will help even if you're not aware of it. And these are times where medication do where therapy doesn't work. The only way to help a person is when someone says, I have a problem, I want to change. And when a person comes in, I'm clear that I'm okay and everyone is seeing the problem, so the therapist will tell you, just take the medication and let it work. I don't have the koyach or I'm not able to change your view because it is so deep embedded. So what I think this therapist is saying is if you're going to a psychiatrist after therapy isn't working as much as a therapist knows it could, not what you're saying, yeah, oh, I used to wash my hands a hundred times, now it's only 60 times, so that's normal because I get that many times from people. And if the psychiatrist says take the medication, my recommendation is listen to the doctors. But that was, that, that's not the case. That person that, that's on the medication is actually, um, it helped that person. The person is actually getting off the medication. So let and me understand something. The person's getting off the medication. The therapist is telling them, uh, go to uh, the no, doctor. No, no, hold no. on, let me, finish, let me finish. Let me finish. Hold on, let me finish. Let's repeat the question the way I hear it, and I would like you to fill in the blanks. Okay. The person's on medication, doing good on medication, and now the therapist is sending them to the psychiatrist, to the doctor, to say if they should get off or if they need to stay on it for life, right? No, actually, the, the story's a bit different. Okay, let me clarify. Um, that person is on, um, is actually getting over the medication because the therapist felt that that person was doing good. Now, um, because of different... Um, someone else in the family that went for therapy for something else, um, a different therapist's opinion was that that person, that, that it might be genetic and, and that person should be evaluated. Um, for medication? Yeah, to, to, yeah. And why would that person not want to go for that evaluation? That person is willing. But? But I just feel very uncomfortable with the fact that, you know... Um, that it's genetic, quote-unquote? That that person is... Yeah, like, okay, Let's try so things differently. Did that therapist try to do therapy to the second kid? Yeah. And did therapy work? Um, for something else, actually. Good, but then wouldn't the therapist continue doing therapy for that other issue? Is it possible that it, while the second sibling feels it helped somewhere, but the therapist sees there are so much more going on, let's just try medication, instead of dealing with clients can come to me with eight issues, and it took us ten sessions to just deal with one of them, and it was so hard and such a battle, and really medication is needed, that finally the person will take it? Is that possible, that there's more to what the therapist is saying? No, the, per um, the therapist... I don't see a therapist just saying, you know what, it's genetic, just take medication. I have a hard time seeing that. Now, I'm not saying therapists don't do that. Some of them do. 
what I think is going on over there is there's so much more going on with the second. No, this is her belief. Her belief is that it's either genetic or it's, it's caused by a charm. And if that person, it's actually a person that got married to a different person. and that I'll tell you what, let's throw, this question is getting way too complicated and we wanted more for awareness. So that's over there. My real recommendation to you is go for a second opinion. Ask the person to go just for a second opinion. So this way you I have so many second opinions. I'm like all confused already at this point. But then I don't know why there are so many second opinions. You go to one therapist, you heard it. You went to a second therapist, you heard their opinion, and then you work it out. You heard a second opinion. If the second opinion agreed with the first one, good. If not, then maybe have the two therapists speak together. That's what second opinions are for. So many second mm. opinions means there's a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth. Something's not going right. And that is not what this phone line, what this calling in now is for. This is meant to create awareness. And we've created a huge amount of awareness about medication, about siblings that have it, why therapists might recommend it, how clients might hear how it goes. There might be so much more going on, and that is already a little bit more especially, and I don't want you to share it. That's why I'm not going deeper into it. Who is it? Is it you? Is it your brother? Is it your cousin? Is it someone that you're helping out? And this we cannot do. I can't help anyone or recommend when there are so many things that we can't share. And we're on here, right. and we're so many people listening that it's not healthy for you to do right, that. Right, right, right. So therefore, I can, we are here to create awareness, and I feel the awareness, the schos, should help you, and whoever is the person that needs that oh, that needs the help should be, have a siyat of the shmaya that they should be sent to the right shliach. Just for you to know, I'd recommend that you do call relief. And there are some wonderful people over there that help with referrals and with sorting out with what's happening. And they might be able to help you with guidance or how to be evaluated or maybe let the psychiatrist do the evaluation. But there are people that can help you out there just to create awareness or maybe to speak to both therapists. And that's many times where a parent should be getting involved to hear what the therapist said and to clarify. So there's so much more that's mm -hmm. needed. But, but as, uh, like taking it at face value, um, you, w like you wouldn't say it that... It is not right to put me in that place. Face value, this is not meant for face value. A lot of things are meant for face value. I feel there's a lot more going on that is not clear. And therefore, I think you need someone that you can be open to and share all the details with. And maybe that person will try working with you or whoever that person is and identify some of the blocks because I don't want to be misquoted in something that might be going on that does need medication or does not need. And I think it's very, very complicated. And I'm not going to step, I'm not going to step on that mine and poof, give you the wrong advice. All I will say is we're here for awareness and the awareness was amazing. Okay, thanks so much. You're very welcome. Thank you, Rivka, for holding. You're on the air with Mordechai. Those of you tuning in to listen now, you're listening to your host, Mordechai Weimerger, LCSW. That's Mordechai Weimerger, licensed clinical social worker. We're here to take your questions about the mental health area. And, of course, we're looking to take questions and comments, but except for the area of parenting under the ages of eight, nine years old. Rivka, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi, how are you? Baruch Hashem. Fantastic. Okay, so I'm in 12th grade, and I have a sister older than me. She Let's do that again. You're in 12th grade and? I have a sister a year older than me. Sister, yes. She just came back from seminary after a year. Yes. And um, we share a room. And I had, this past year, I had my own room. Yes. Because she wasn't here. And I loved that. Like, I had my privacy and my space. And now she came home. And I feel like someone just, like, invaded me. I don't know what to do. Excellent. Now, let me ask. Let's go deal with this. Because I feel your question is fantastic. How do we deal with changes in our lives means sometimes you have comfortability sometimes life gets squashed imagine someone had a great parnosa and then parnosa went down 
someone who has, you know, a parent Bar Hashem and the kids are going to play group and now the kid is leaving. There are changes. How do we deal with it? Some changes are for the better, some are for the worse. That we perceive for the worst. How do we deal with it? Um, I don't know. <laughs> All right. So that is exactly why the Rabbi Shalom gives us tests every step of the way. And as we grow and as we master it, we go to the next level. And if we don't, he gives it to us more and more. So I know a parent that has an issue that the kids sometimes come into their rooms. They're like, oh, you can't walk into my room. And some parents have that policy. Some parents don't have an issue with kids walking into the room. It's uh, the point I want to bring out. It's not about the policies that you make. It's how do you react when someone invades your privacy? So let's go now back to you. When you had your privacy and now your sister's in your room and you lost your privacy, one of the steps that we try to work out is for you to create privacy within yourself. Which means you might tell your sister in general, even if you always had a sister in your room, you know, I'd like to have sometimes 20 minutes just the room closed in my own time. And you can work it out with your mother, you can work it out with your sister. I just need a little space. I need a quiet room. It might be then in your father's study if you have one. It might be maybe your parents will let you go into their room where kids won't go in. It might be that maybe at night your sister will be okay that 20 minutes it's yours, or maybe your sister goes to college, or maybe your sister is out to a share once a week. There are so many ways to get out there. The point is to identify what is my need, and then instead of demanding it all over, I need my own room, it's how can I get what I need? And what I find with most of my clients, and especially within myself, is when I have my need, I don't need as much. Those people that are starving, those people that are always needing more and more, it's because their little need wasn't taken care of. So those people that need a billion dollars, chances are they don't recognize that all they need is their salary to be made, their parnasa, and maybe a little extra. And I always say this around the Yom Amtayvim time, I say Chalamoy times, is when people have these ideas, for an example, I know a certain family where we can only go skiing in the Swiss Alps, and therefore they've never gone skiing. Instead, because they live in the tri-state area, they're just able to go two days, and, they're, and they don't have a lot of money, so they're able to sort of rent the skis and just go to one of the motels and go skiing, and they're so happy. The whole trip with the whole family was four or $500, and they've gone away three, four years instead of that $30,000 trip, which they've never done. So if we can identify what's the need, I want to spend time with the family, I like skiing, you will find a cheap and economical way how to do it. When we're thinking grandiose, we need everything that means something is wrong. So let me ask you now, how much privacy do you really need? Do you maybe even just need a drawer that no one is going to touch? And then you no. can just put a little lock on one of the drawers. There's a handyman that will come down and take care of that. So what not, do you need? It's not, only like, it's not only the privacy. I could make my own privacy, and I do. But it's also it's not only like the room. It's just the whole fact that she's home also. Like she... She's always touching my stuff, and I told her so many times that she can't touch my stuff. So and let's understand. So the issue is not about privacy now. Because it is I'll also show you everything. Is it, right. It is, it is, now we're identifying the issue. So the issue is there's a communication safety issue in the family that you're someone that likes your stuff private, let's say, or you like your stuff the way you'd like it. You're not such a touchy person, let's say. And your sister is a more touchy person. And you haven't found the safety how to get your natures protected. Um, I guess, I don't know, yeah, I guess so. And these are the issues that, let me just clarify, that even when you get married, you're going to find it. Which means you might just have a brother-in-law, sister-in-law that's going to be all over in your stuff. You might have children, not Merit Shem, you will have children. And you might find that they are now getting all over your stuff 
or not giving you that privacy the way you need. I know some others that let's say call it that they have like a sensory issue where they don't like being touched too much. And then they got that one kid that's so hugging that needs to be hugged. They go, I need to still hug a six-year-old kid or my seven-year-old kid. And that kid, since they're not getting the hugs that they need based on their nature, they're 10 and they still want to be hugged. And then they go, but hugging like so tight? So let's understand what we need to learn is how to create the space. And this is where you can now discuss with your parents and tell them, look, I don't mind sharing a room. I just also need my way, my natures to be respected. And some of my natures are that we might need, let's say, separate closets. Or we'll share the closets, but my stuff she won't just put on, or she won't wear, or she won't borrow. I need to know my stuff won't be borrowed. I need my safety. And well, we do have separate closets, and I, my mother spoke to her so many times that she, like, whenever things happen, like she took my shirt out there without asking. That's right. But I told her you can't take her now, stuff with Now, let's understand, that is a real... Um, personal safety issue. Now, I don't mean safety as in safe as your your life or your physical body is in danger, but it is about safe where your subconscious can feel safe that I am able to protect myself, my needs, what's important to me. And otherwise, something like this, unfortunately, we see many times how siblings have fights or disagreements where she might always be pushy or try to get to know your personal stuff and say, hey, I know your personal stuff, I know a secret I heard from mommy or this and that, and then you're getting all upset. It's about being able to respect your boundary. And everyone needs to learn part of life is how to have my boundary and how to even be able to defend my boundary. So how do I do that? Do that? Discuss this issue now with your parents. You can have your okay. parents go on to jrootradio.com. You can download it. You can listen to the segment right over here. And you could do it from my phone line where we've got it over there as well, where you can always have to hear the recording. And have your parents hear that it's now their job as parents. That's why we have a police force. That's why we have a military. That's why we have Rabbanim. That's why we have a ben uh, uh, Bezdin. That's why there are even court systems where we can be safe in a way that there's a system out there to help us. And the lower level, which is how to have parents and family to keep us protected and safe. And on a more inner level is for us to be able to find a system. So what is the system for you? It might be to put a lock on your, on your closet and explain that to the parents. If we can come up to some, to some level that my boundaries are safe, then let's do something a bit more extreme. Okay, so now, like what? Something, something that I did, just like a small example, is I just got um, new shelves, and shelves like all look alike. So I wrote my name in it, and I told her that it says my name, and I don't want you to take it. Because I don't want, and you know it's mine. It says my name in it. And then this morning, um, I woke up later than her. She was out of the house, and I looked in my closet, and one of them was missing. So I called her. I asked her if she took it, and she just hung up on me. And here's where you now bring in your parents. Parents, you're the parents. You're in charge. My boundaries are not being respected. I don't mind sharing with my sister, but she's got to act. Ask. And asking does not mean if she asks, she will get it. Ask is means I have the choice to say yes. I have the choice to say no. That's what it means when you have your personal boundaries. And if not, this issue can go unresolved for a very long time, and you have a right. It is your right as a child to have your personal safety and boundaries respected. That is a right. That is not a gift which is also being bestowed upon you. The Rabbi Shalom has created you on this world as well as your sister. It means each of you are different. It means each of you will have yours. And it is a right to be able to defend yourself. It is not, don't let people tell you, okay, we'll be nice to you this time and we're going to respect you. Or we're going to try speaking to her. And I don't just mean this to your parents. I mean even a job at work where a says, okay, we'll do, you, we'll do this favor this time. No, it is a right for us to be safe. 
for us to feel secure, for us to be able to defend ourselves for our rights. Okay, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank okay. you, Rifka, for that question. We are going to Adina. Adina, on line one, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi. How are you doing? Wonderful. First of all, I want to say an amazing thing about this phone line is that you never know what an impact you're making on so many people's lives. Thank, Thank you. you. That is true. <laughs> That's one of the things <laughs> that I like about it. I do not know the questions that are coming. I don't think a, a question has ever yet been set up in the year and a half that we're probably on over here. And um, it's really nice to see, to answer questions. And I guess the impact that some people send me messages once in a while, how there are awarenesses happening that I'm not even focused and aware of, but Baruch Hashem, there are changes happening. Would you yeah, like to share, or do you know any story of someone that just for me not being aware, but through the phone line, through this questions and answers. And I would also like to give a major shout-out and a major appreciation to the jrootradio.com. jrootradio.com has seen the need for this, and we're doing it. You have Aaron over here taking care of it. You have Nissen. And he's completely everything from A to Z is all about him, and these people are giving their entire time, Shiram and everything out there. We really, really want to thank... Um, Nissen and Harav Nissen, I should say, and Eron for really taking care of this, for it, for it to be able to happen. Is there, so again, just going back there, is there a ripple effect that I'm not aware of? Yes. Can you share it? Is it comfortable to share? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll share it with you, but first, can I ask my question? Uh, yeah, let's do better. I always start on my clients, we always start with a positive. So let's start with a positive, the ripple, and Merit Hashem will take your question. And how do you know my question is not positive? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Questions are always positive. It's about awareness. But I always start with positive experiences. It's just the focus. Usually a question is a question asking for information, and a positive is just sharing a focus of positive. Exactly. So I have a friend that listened every single um, Tuesday to your line, and she realized that she is extremely codependent on her brother. And the fact that Anytime he asks for a favor, she runs whatever she's in the middle of doing. She wants to go do him favors. Um, it's actually really her whole family that is, like, very codependent on each other. Yes. Um, and she, she listened, I would say, around six months ago to our question about codependent. Yes. And she's working on it, and now she feels so much better, so much more free. And, wow. Um, that is beautiful. You really made a difference. I thank you. And by the way, the point of positive is it helps the person or the listeners, but it helps me as well. It gives that <laughs> little energy. It gives that little boost saying, yes, things are happening. Like, it's, it's just, wow, Baruch Hashem. And one of the benefits that I love this of this public forum is that I feel there's a positive ripple effect. Exactly. There's a positive effect without me needing to actually do anything continuous at all times. That ripple effect to me is a... It was a major siyata deshmai, and I thanked Rabbi Shlom to be a, to be the that he let me be the shliach to be able to do that. Now let's go okay. to your question. Okay, so I'm a 21 year old single girl. Um, like three years ago, I was cutting. Three years ago, you were cutting. Like cutting. Self-harm. Sure, sure. I went to. I started with CBT, CBT, um, some inner child. Um, like a year and a half later, we realized that I was molested by my brother. Okay, okay, fine. We're not going to talk 
event. Right. I try usually not to do that yeah, on air publicly. This is a subject. So I feel it's important. I feel in private and sneers. I feel it's a, it's a discussion that needs to be discussed, but but not publicly. Yeah. Okay, let's go We're a little further. Um, I finally found an amazing therapist that did um, prolonged exposure. Okay, yes. It was murder. It was around two months of utter agony. Yes. Um, I could not wake up in the morning. I could not go to sleep. Um, but I finished it. I feel so relieved. I'm finally free, and I'm not scared to be alone. And it worked. Now, here's the question. My parents are um, they're very nice people, for sure, to the public. My father is a control freak, has a very bad temper. Um, you know, let, mother, let's take a step back over here. This is a very public forum. I don't know if people... I'm doing this for your protection, rather. Um, I feel there's a lot that was said already, personal stuff. I usually don't do this at all, but maybe we'll put you on hold. We'll get your information, and maybe I'll give you a couple of minutes where I'll speak to you one-on-one. I feel there's a lot going on, and I don't want this too public. Okay, okay for your sake, not you. for my sake. I can handle it. Okay, thank you for respecting my privacy. Yes, yes, and I feel it's important. And so, Aaron, I'm going to put line one on hold. If you can just get her information, Ablina, I'll call her. So, again, again, Adina, I will call you in the next, give me a day or two, Meretz Hashem, to get back to you. Or, or you know what, or what you can do is you can call my office. Oh, I don't want to say the office number on here. Um, you know, just give Aaron the number, and I will, Meretz Hashem, and I will, Meretz Hashem, get back to you in the next day or two. Or I'll give you my office number, and this way we'll be able to take care of that. Thank you for calling in, and yes, we'll just respect privacy. Let us go to line two, to Mendy. You're on the air with Mordechai. Hi. Shalom my name is Mendy from Yerushalayim. Mendy from? Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim, thank you. Now, had I seen Mendy from Yerushalayim on the, on the caller numbers, you would have been in much earlier. Thank you. Thanks for holding. Okay. How do you hear okay, us in your shalai, may I ask? Well, your your line is so famous. All my family is everywhere. Everyone is listening. They all know about it. And whenever whenever they always tell me just call up Mordechai. He will uh, deal with you. Thank so we're you. Listening, we're listening out from you from your shalai, actually. Beautiful. Last week I last week I tried to call in. I was waiting uh, quite a bit of time. I was actually at a chuppah, but it was so important for me, so I just went out and I was listening till. Uh, Last minute I was able to. Wow, thank you. Just to let you know and the listeners how important this line and this uh, um, radio thing is uh, important for us. So if I have the privilege, I want to thank you, Mordechai, and Nisim and Aaron for the great work you're doing for us. Yes. You're welcome, and I'm okay. sure saying you're welcome from Nissen and from Aaron. <laughs> okay. Keep it up. Um, my question is like this. I have a problem going on already for, let's say, up to three years. And this is a addiction which I have, which the only addiction I have, which is I pull my beard. Yes. With my fingers, automatic, I don't even get it, it doesn't get into my mind, but I find myself like after 10, 20 minutes after pulling my beard the whole time, I just come home and I, I come home and I look myself in the mirror, I see myself shaved completely. Yes. And um, I've been trying to stop it for two weeks, three weeks, and then with one phone call or when I go to learn or something, everything comes down again. Yes. 
and it disturbs me very, very much. It, the more disturbs me that I can't control myself. I'm a very controlled person in everything, just in this part now. You've it's, just um, mentioned, you've already. just given the answer to the problem. Let me share with you, first of all, I, uh, let me just do it again. I am deeply honored when we get calls in, and we've got a lot of them from all over the world, but especially from England, and I, you're probably the second or third caller, I don't know, maybe a little more from Eretz Yisrael and from Yerushalayim, so I appreciate it. And for those of you that call international, just say you're calling in from international, Meretz we will put you in ahead. Now, please don't fake it and say you're calling in, you know, when you're from here, but I appreciate for those that are doing it. Let me explain to you a little bit about nervous twitches, how that works. And sometimes, um, we're not going to call it an addiction, and the word that I call it has just slipped my mind. When people are sort of, let's say, pulling out their hair, it's sometimes called like a tick, but it's not a tick. It's like a nervous behavior, which sometimes can be pulling out eyebrows, beards, payas. Um, right, it usually comes when I'm a little stressed or that's have a exactly important it. phone call. That's right. So there are two components that needs to be done. Number one is the inner work, where we need to first start identifying. Understand, and this is the same issue when people have physical pains on their body, after a medical doctor has ruled out that it's not a physical issue, headaches, back pains, whatever it should be, they're saying it's not medical, it's the same level. What is happening is your brain is telling you, you have been living with this problem for so long, it is, and we're yelling at you subconsciously, please change, stop, and you're still not listening, I now must create a behavior stronger than your logic can control. And that is when that happens. And similarly is what we do also with addictions. That when someone is going to the addiction status, whatever it should be, their body is screaming that I am in such pain, I have no enjoyment in life, especially the addictions people, only those extreme emotions, and we need to start learning how to deal with that. Now, with addictions, as with tics, as with what you're doing, there's also, a, there's also a behavioral, physical component that's needed. It means you can do all the inner work in the world, but since your body has now learned a new behavior, you need to learn a new way to deal with it. Just the example that I give is when someone's got a broken leg and then they're on a cast, they're in a cast for 8 to 10 weeks, they many times need the PT or OT stuff, the physical therapy, to reteach the brain how to walk, how to have a balance. Sometimes they might have a drop of a limp. Sometimes they might not be able to run as fast just because the brain needs to be retaught, even though we did that for 30 years. When someone has stress, so therefore my recommendation to you is two points. Number one, start doing inner work. Take a pen and paper, and when you're getting stressed, just listen to the stress. What's the stress saying? I should do perfect. My chavrus might be angry at me. My mother might be upset that I didn't learn so well. Even if you're married, even if you're 50 years old, I know people that their parents are not alive, but they're still living in their brains, and the negativity or the stress or the perfectionist that the parents never even meant to happen that this person or child or adult has interpreted that way is now living in the person's brain. So many times we blame our parents for what they said. It's just the way we interpreted it or words they said that we've interpreted differently than they meant. So what step one is I start identifying what are the stresses that are affecting your life and changing that. But just for you to be aware that in this issue, identifying that is not enough. You also need a behavioral change which means you might want to start touching your thumb every time you want to touch your beard. So once the stress is out, you just need to teach yourself a new behavior. So those people that want to stop smoking, one of the points that they try to do is now before the e-cigarettes came out, and we're not going into all that, it's good, it's not good, and all that stuff, but they would have, they'll tell someone, just hold a pen, because you need to play with something in your fingers. Okay. The f what? 
Yeah, to have an alternative, yeah. That's right, because the brain is used to touching things and playing with something that just have a pen. So the two components about understanding is that it does, I have helped people with that, but many times it takes a little bit longer than other stuff because once the brain creates a physical issue, it's saying that it has been neglected for a while. So it takes a little bit longer than other things to clear up. But with Siata Deshmaya, it can be cleared. And just for you to also be aware of that behavioral modification is also part of the treatment when you help that. Okay. Okay, thank you very much. Thank for you, Mendy. Help. Thank you for holding last time and looking forward. And if you find it works, please share with us the feedback. I'd greatly appreciate that. Okay, thank you very, very much. You're very welcome. Uh, we are going to go to line three. Line three, Toby, you're on the air with Mordechai. Hi. Um, let me ask a question like this. I'm going through, unfortunately, separation and divorce. Yes. I have a lot of anxiety, and I yes. feel it in my face, and I need a tool to help me relax. And you want that all in three minutes and less? <laughs> um, I have been through a lot of therapies, so I'm familiar with a lot. But Good. You um, tell me what you've been through, and I'll give you the short version of each of their tools. So those of you listening, might not, you might understand it, but you'll understand it deeper. Okay, so I've been through EMDR. Okay, fine. I've been through EMDR is for... Um, for trauma? Yeah, and... Um, yeah, I'm I, trained in EMDR, so let me clarify. I understand the system. Yeah, EMDR is wonder. Um, and I've been through a little CBT, not too much. Okay. And a lot of um, social stuff, meaning... Okay, so let's try a little bit different. Um, we're not going to try any of the EMDR tools, although there are, I'm thinking, all right, let's start a little bit backwards. Anxiety. Have you ever dealt with the anxiety component? No. Okay, so anxiety is a separate issue just to recognize. What anxiety means is something very simple. The emotions are too much for us to be able to process. That's all anxiety is. So imagine, let's say you got a bottle of something and you have a funnel which we want to get the water that's being poured all over into the bottle. Okay. And what happens if you're pouring in too much water, more that can be funneled? What happens? It overflows. It'll overflow. That's anxiety. Okay. Anxiety means I've got too many emotions out there and I need to process it. Okay. And many times we have them for years that we're not able to process them. And every time Merit Hashem, the family grows, all life systems change, which is a major change when someone goes through a separation and divorce, now your brain is saying, I, I just can't process it all. That's why for anxiety, a large part of the refuah of anxiety is just talking. Anxiety works great by having someone where you can just talk to. And when people go through major trauma, which I would consider a separation and divorce a trauma, okay. or major emotions, just have someone to talk to once or twice a week. But someone that's a bit more professional other than a friend. Because friends, we might want to filter things. Okay, so uh, so my question, my next question is, since I am going through it, I, at, at this point I cannot afford therapy. Is there any other method of speaking to someone? First of all, you can afford therapy. Do you have any type of insurance like Medicaid, Medicare? I have Oxford. I have normal insurance. Fantastic. So many therapists take Oxford. Go through Oxford, all over the from world, Brooklyn. You'll see but them they all don't, over. They don't, they, don't, um, they don't, as far as I know, they don't allow the mental, they're not supporting the mental. That is field. very not true. I know many people, many therapists that are taking Oxford, and I'll tell you further than that. You've got all the organizations, Jewish Board, OHEL. Um, in Williamsburg, Pesach Tikva, I can go through all the, all the centers that there are, and they all take every insurance they must. It's a legal issue. They have to. 
So basically what you're saying is that if I would have a therapist on my side and I'll be able to get professional help, their anxiety level will reduce and therefore my um, pain will reduce With as well. With Siata sure, you might need some advocacy. Just knowing someone is in your court there for, your, for you, and we're not talking about defending you, they're not going to call up anyone for you. They're not here to fight your battles. They're here to help you go into what are your fears. Chas v'shalom, your husband might take away the kids. Chas um, your kids might be emotionally damaged. Uh, maybe you don't have a family support system you're going through all alone. Right. Maybe you have some fears that you were never able to share with anyone. Maybe you did something wrong that you can't share with anyone. But here at least, and that's the therapist's point. The therapist's point is they are 100% confidential. We will okay. lose our license and can go to jail if we break confidentiality. Yeah, that I know. I've been through it. I know, you. so I just want you to feel. And yes, they do take, yes, all these agencies, they must legally take every single, practically every single insurance out there. They must. Okay, and it does not matter. Um, it does not matter. I, that's what, I'm not sure. Um, usually I went, the people that I worked with in the past are, were top, top people. All these organizations are having um I, I don't want to go to someone who's still getting trained, and I want to get someone. Then you good. can make the request. Go ahead and make the request. And they I, have I first those would like people. you to know, and I like to deal that many people say they don't want to go to beginners or to students. Right. And I respect that. But I'm a big believer in take what you got first. I hear you. So I am not saying stick to it. Maybe ask for it. Maybe ask if you can go twice a week, and you can go maybe once a week to the supervisor. Push, ask. Sometimes start. Oh, maybe you. say I'll go three months to the, to the student, but then I want to go. Make your request. Defend your rights. But at the same time, I'd like you to know something is better than nothing. And for those of you that are going to students, understand we all had to start somewhere. That's right. I hear that all the time. And uh, um, someone that I know once had a surgery in one of the top hospitals here in New York, in the city, I should say, Columbia, NYU, they are all teacher colleges means you cannot say, I don't want to go to a student. You don't have that legal, or you do have the legal right. The only thing when you do that is you will not have surgery done. I know, I understand. The only thing why I don't want a beginner is because I myself at this point feel that I could be a therapist after all that I've yes, been through. Yes, you can, except for yourself. I understand, so, so therefore I don't want to go to a beginner. So that's why we just need someone. Don't look as a therapist as someone that's going to tell you what to do. Look at it as a therapist as someone that's going to help you find out what's going on in yourself. If a therapist gives you advice... Unless they're doing behavioral therapy and a bit of cognitive therapy, I don't like that too much. The real job of a therapist is to help you tune in and to discover your issues. What's holding you back? What are your fears? What tools do you have how to deal with it? All right, I hear you. Uh, may I just say one more thing while I'm on the air? Go ahead. That um, I have been feeling guilty for over 13 years. I've helped myself. Girls, you know what I'm talking about. If you feel guilty, just go for help. That's it. Thank you so much for that awareness. And that is one of the main goals of this entire program. Don't live with it. Don't feel trapped. You're not alone. Let no, me ask you something, clock. Toby. Since you've been going for help, do you feel better? This is, again, for those listeners. I can hear the answer in your voice. Do you um, feel better? I am, I, am, I am a mature adult. I'm no more a child. Beautiful. And I've been taking care of the child within me. And I care for her. And I love her. And I've made peace with all she has been through. Very good, Toby. Thank you for that awareness. I appreciate it, and the Rabbi Shalom should help you, that all your choices should be done with the right siyata d'shmaya, should work out for the best for everyone, the easiest way, and keep on growing. Thank you, and You're, we'll call you again. Yes, please Thank do. So please share feedback, especially if you get a student, and it's fantastic. Please share that. I'd love people to start. I can think of that those that were my, when I was a student and those people that got better, I think they had fantastic therapy.
I would hate to imagine that I didn't do well. I think I'm better now than I was then, but I feel they did great work then. I hear you. Just I feel that I want to go because I'm so familiar with them. Yes, with both, yes. I want to get someone. I'd like to tell you one other thing as well. And to those of you listening, I know people that have gone to quote unquote the trained therapists, and they have found themselves not that happy. And I have found those that have gone to students or to those that are just beginning so much happier. And I found people that haven't even gone to licensed therapists and were even happier than most of them all. Go. Get, continue growing. Do this next step. Keep on growing. And that's the main goal that our point is. Okay? Keep on growing. Find whatever works for you and get better. Just keep the process. Keep on coming back, as they say in the groups, in the Al Anon type systems. We got another one from Eretz Yisrael. Shimon from Yerushalayim. You're on the air with Mordechai. We are cutting you ahead. So I hope you are actually from Yerushalayim. <laughs> yes. Hello? Yes, Shimon. Um, I don't live in Yerushalayim, but that's where I am now. Okay, you don't live there, but that's where you are right now. It passes. It passes. Great. <laughs> okay. Um, my question's like this. And you're not um, like in Jerusalem, New York, or something like that, huh? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, my question's like this. Um, I've been through domestic uh, violence. Wait, uh, it's I'm just a breaking a up a little. Can you say it again? I just heard something about violence. Domestic violence. You've been, you've grown up in domestic violence? Yes, pretty much. Okay. And domestic violence, you're talking um, about a parent that was physically abusive or verbally abusive, just so we can... Physically and verbally. Um, yes. I was told he has a personality disorder, so I'll describe it that way. Yeah. Um, very, in, it was um, covered in, 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 in front kite, a lot of it. Yes. Probably our... Uh, Quite to it. So my question is like this: um, I went to yeshiva bismillah for three years. Um, I had a yeshiva that I would say popped me up. Well, yeah. So the, the yeshiva built you up. Is that what you're saying? I said I had a yeshiva that propped me up. Propped you up. Meaning, propped me up. You know, you always tell me how good I am. It's not excellent. So, good. I want to make I sure I got I you. Passed through I was able to pass through basically, right? Yes. Once I'm on my own, then things didn't work out as well. Now, I went to therapy like uh, um, for three months, like uh, before before Pesach, and they didn't really get anywhere. I didn't connect with the guy. But one thing is that I'm, I bet some processed a lot of the things, like the thoughts and the, the stories. I processed it. I was thinking about it the last few years, even though I didn't go to therapy. Now, I'm by this new guy. He's officially a very good guy. He's a psychologist. He just, anyways, so the thing is that I've been going to him. I'm doing a lot better. I'm much more aware of, you know. Let's take the, a step back. I'd like you to clarify because I feel this is important to the awareness. What is the difference between the first guy and the second guy? The first guy I didn't, I didn't connect with. I didn't trust him. I, I just didn't like him. Maybe. I don't know. I, just didn't, I didn't think that he um, took my words literal. I felt he's always reading me. He wasn't like listening to what I have to say. Yeah. Um, the second guy, I I feel that he's he's very right on the ball. He takes everything with a grain of salt, and he he doesn't just you know some people give him you know, like he speaks to somebody he spoke to my Rashid, right? He doesn't just take everything that someone told him before. He takes each thing he listens. He's a good guy. Now the thing is that I've been going to him, and I'm already more aware of certain things that pain me that I used to deny. 
like not having family, being going to cousins. I'm, I'm at home, by the way, for the last years. So, but the thing is that I'm going to the guy now, and I feel like this become their excuse or something to speak and speak for. No, I'd say, I, I just want to. I'm asking you to repeat because it's not coming out that clear. So, so when you go to him now, there's a big what? No, I go to him. We we speak about. He tells me to speak. Like I'm sure, sure you know that, right? So I'm I'm supposed to start off. So I start off the session, and I already spoke about the basic things that you know weigh down on me right now. Yes. And it seems like he wants more, and I feel like I don't have more to give. He, okay. He's, he's telling me about how. Guys come in and, and something really happens there, and like I see that happening. It's not now. My question is: Is it possible that I already process these things? Like he says, there are places people never want to go. And I told him, I don't, I don't think there's just such a place. And he told me, well, you, then right. you're naive. So let's so get your question. question is, is it possible that I process these things before? Let's let's get your question. Your question is that you're going out to a therapist that you're connecting. You grew up in a, the major domestic mm-hmm. violence. You're not home with your family for several years. You're not really connected to that. You're going now to a therapist for about a couple of months. You feel the fact that you've spoken about situation is a lot better. And the therapist feels there's a lot more going on. And you feel you've processed everything already. Is it possible there's not more going on? Is that your question? Um, or, yeah. Or, or is there? Yeah, yeah. That's my question. Yeah. Okay. So let's understand. Let's look at it this way. Proof is in the pudding. How do you feel? Do you prompt? Do you make? Uh, do you get little fights with people? Are you stressed on the inside? Are you tense? So there's a lot of things that I've changed consciously. I don't want to know years. what you've changed. I want to know inside. Is there still no, things so, going on? So that, that definitely remnants. Good. That so that means there's more in there. Proof is in the pudding. Not so much in. Sorry. Proof is in the pudding. If if there are little remnants in there, it still needs to be cleaned out. Now, let me explain what I mean. I mean to say that I run into how I structure my day and things like that. Okay, that me, is still part of what therapy maybe, does. Maybe you should go for life coaching. Good, that is... Uh, 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 <laughs> let's not confuse life coaching and therapy. If know, you went through major question. trauma, there's a time for life coaching. That's after the therapist that has experience in areas like this feels, besides for you, because sometimes the clients can be in denial when you're blocked... You might not be able to see it, and the therapist is trying to push there. So let me also give you now another example how I help clients. Many times someone like you would come in, I'm going to call you like a little bit more of the difficult client. Why is it more difficult? Because you're not coming and asking, okay, I've got problems, let's see what's going on or helping. You're coming and saying, this and this happened, this and this affected me. So you're coming in with the problem, you're coming in with the solution, and basically the therapist is just a listening ear. That's not real therapy. Therapy is when we can help you get your guard down to say, since I am in myself, I am blind, a certain situation might have affected me more than I am aware of. The therapist will then be able to ask certain probing questions to help you. And then, oh, wow, this question just got me to be aware of something that I didn't know. I'll give you an example that I might do. I might have someone that came in from domestic violence. And they would come and how the father yelled at them and hit them, or the mother yelled and hit. And then we would just go, what about friends? And they go, no, my main fear was my father or my mother. And I'll go, okay, but when a kid is always afraid, how are they with friends? Can they be open? Can they invite friends? And they'll go, I don't want to talk about friends. I just want to talk about my parents. Now, part of my job as a therapist is to help you first be aware of what's going on. And maybe because you were afraid of your parents, you were never able to trust friends. 
maybe you're tough with yeah. friends and you're not aware that part of the reason why friends don't want to be your friends. And I've got some news for you. Maybe the therapist just sees it's called transference in the therapy room, how difficult you are, how you got to control topics, which is telling them there are so many areas that you're not going to. So what I'd like you to be aware okay. of is this therapist might see that there's so much control going on, so much of you leading the therapy instead of the therapist leading it, which they know clearly something is going on. They just can't pinpoint what because you're not opening up to any other area. And therefore, what we do okay. in therapy is we shoot blanks, which means I would tell you, oh, you're feeling angry. And they go, I'm not feeling angry. I'm really feeling sad. We know that when I will shoot the word anger, you're probably not going to respond to that, but we're going to get something else. Okay. So this um, therapist, it sounds like he's feeling that there's a lot going on in the room. I'm making an assumption, and he's trying to figure out what else is there. So, this, so that's what I said. Like, I mean, I my thousands of things. There's a lot of things that I could talk about that are maybe painful, but... That's like, it. Do that. You don't I, need to well, understand. I, when I thought was, when I come in, my, when my, what, the way I was, the way I approached it was, I'm going to tell him things that weigh down on me now. No. That might be what you want to do, but that's... Now, let's understand. So you're coming in with an agenda that I am going to discuss what's weighing me down now. Your yeah, therapist, which me. is... Tell me, that's what he told me to do. Tell me, tell me what's on my mind. Okay, but maybe the therapist... <laughs> so if you're listening to what the therapist wants and he wants something else, I think there might be a miscommunication between you and the therapist. Uh, I would ask you to clarify so, with him, what exactly would you like of me? Do you know about my past? Do you know how maybe some of the past affected me now? Do you want to discuss an issue that's going on now and try to attach it to a past? Do you want me to start noticing a pattern that is going on in my life? Ask him, what, what is your goal? I, so because you're saying in no way should I do what he, what he told me. He said, um, I think you should go for life coaching, call your bluff, and then you come back. <laughs> so, he told me I shouldn't even call my bluff. I think what he's trying to sort of say is, I can't help you when you're resistant. And I don't know. Again, I haven't spoken to your therapist. Does it, does your, did your therapist say, look, if you think your issue is life coaching, then go to a life coach. But when you're ready to start finding out what's really going on inside, to start really doing an inventory of how you might have been affected. Because to me, my friend, anyone that hasn't been speaking to their family, you sound pretty young, means well, the way you said you were in yeshiva, you're in Eretz Yisrael, you're away from the family. Domestic violence growing up there. I don't want to make you feel like a troubled case, but you got to be damaged. <laughs> and I don't mean damage is not shown as a problem. I just mean you're missing certain tools that people have when you have a safe father and a safe mother. And that takes time to that. process. What? I, the thing is that I recognize that, but I don't see it coming out from the way these conversations are going. That's why I think maybe you go to life coach. I'll tell you. No, no, that that's, that's not you. the job of life coach. And I'll tell you, as Baruch Hashem, you went to one therapist, you felt it didn't connect, you went to a second where you connected, go then for a third opinion. Continue the process of therapy. It's about a shidduch, it's about a different style. Find out someone that does more inner child therapy. I'd ask you to look into that. Uh-huh. And the thing that he's doing now, what is that, that's CBT? I don't know what he's doing. You haven't told me yet what he's doing. No, I tell him, you come, you come in and tell me Tell him, he wants me to tell him uh, something that I was daydreaming about or that I actually about or that I, my mind was hovering over for the last few days. Good. And before. then what is the next step that you do? 
Okay, so far, every that. therapist well, does that. Every modality them. basically does tell me what's going on. Now, what's the method of therapy that changes? DBT does one thing, CBT does another. Um, exposure therapy will do another. Each one will do, inner child will do a different method. Now, tell me the method of therapy that the person does, and it will tell me more what type of style he's done. EMDR will do another for trauma work. Uh, what's the okay. method of therapy that the, that the person does once you're talking? Right. Well, I don't know that, so, okay. So then chances are the person might have, then it might just be psychodynamic where you're just talking about what's on your mind. And okay, psychodynamic just does that. There are right. so many different methods and modalities out there. Okay. Um, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Call. Thank you for calling in all the way from Eretz Yisrael. I'm going to just read one quick message I see we've got on the Lakewood Scoop, and then we're going to try to get to Pinchas because we've got like two or three minutes to go. <laughs> so from the Lakewood Scoop, Dear Mordechai, what should I do with my dear son? He's 12 years old and refuses to let me teach him how to ride the bike. Every time I take him out, he screams that he has a major pachad from bikes because his cousin Shmiel fell down on one and hurt his finger. I tried to explain to him that accidents happen and he doesn't have to have such a pachad, but he... Masters ta not now, not never. Oh, but he says ta not now, not ever. This sounds quite a bit extreme, and I would ask you, does your son have other fears, and is he afraid of trying other experiences? And then I'll take it a step further. Which one of you, your husband, your I guess you're the father or your wife, are afraid to try new experiences? Or which one of you always going, watch where you cross, don't talk to strangers, don't do this? And many times when we create some of that, we create the awareness of how things can turn out, and then sometimes kids will create that. But we're not blaming you. We're just uh, identifying that sometimes when we're too concerned or feared about the negative. But your 12-year-old son, I would first tell you to have him call on the phone line if you could, as we've had others do, just to give a shot, just to have an idea what's going on, because there's so much to this question. This isn't like a little concern. This could be major anxiety. It could be nothing. It could be he himself fell and we're not aware of it. It could be so many other stuff. So I apologize, but we're not able to just deal with that head-on with a simple system. Pinchas, you will be the last caller for today. We will take you as quick as possible. Thank you for holding. Hello, Mr. Weimer. I'm calling from London, and I just wanted to thank you about the awareness I got from you. I never heard from it about it before, about the behavioral, um, uh, how do you call it, parenting classes. Yes. I never heard about it before, and I got it only from you. I then, I then, I never saw it advertised over here as well, so I bought a, a MP3 from, from Monty, and I see very big changes, so I wanted to thank you. So you got an MP3 player about parenting classes in general. Is that what you're saying? I said that I never, I never heard about this, uh, this um, about parenting classes, and I never saw it advertised over here in London as well. So then I bought it from Monty, an MP3 player of um, a parenting class. Thank you. And I saw very big changes. So I Excellent. wanted to thank you. So special, Pinchas. And again, this is what I'm telling people. Just, if you've got a question, search information out there. Get parenting classes. The tools are out there. We just need the tools. Doesn't mean you're not good. It's just like you want to become a therapist. I had all the natural talents, but I was missing the tools how to do it. And I still take courses to build the tool in the toolbox. So let's recognize that all we want to do is build the tools in the toolbox. Thank you for calling from England. So we have two from Eretz Yisrael, from Yerushalayim, and from England. Thank yes, you. thank you. 
Thank you. And you just called for the comment for the awareness? Mm-hmm. Yes. I appreciate that triple. So I'd like to thank everyone for oh, listening in. I wanted in. to thank you that I got the awareness from you. Only I didn't hit from this kind of thing a parenting class ever before. Yeah, so in England, yeah. it's not that... Yes, excellent. Thank you. So again, Creating Awareness, there are courses out there for everyone. Every type out there. Books that we can read. Our Merit Hashem, things will be getting better and clearer. Thank you all for listening, Merit Hashem. Looking forward to having you next week with Siata Deshmaya, Tuesday from 12 to 2. Hatzlacha.